offerings. I want you to take your Bibles and turn, if you have them there with you, and I want you to turn to the book of Ruth, chapter 2. Ruth, chapter 2. Over the past weeks, we've been looking at the book of Ruth, and it may seem unusual to be in the story of Ruth uh, right here around the Christmas season, but I'm reminded that Ruth is one of three ladies that are listed in Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And Ruth is a part of the story of the birth of Christ. What a wonderful story this is. Elimelech and his wife Naomi travel to Moab. They sojourn in Moab to flee a famine in the, in the land of Israel, in the city of Bethlehem, the very city where Jesus will be born. And they travel, and as they sojourn in Moab, Elimelech dies, and then um, their two sons, Malon and Kilion, they marry, and then they die. And so Ruth, uh, Naomi returns with one of her daughters-in-law, Ruth, and they come back to the city of Bethlehem where God has blessed his people with the harvest. And we pick up the story in chapter 2 as there's a, a transition in the scene. And in the beginning of this chapter, I want you just to see a couple of verses, and then I want to draw some truth from this story of chapter 2 this morning. Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Ruth and Naomi are in a season of need. They're in a season of, of desperate need. They've come back, and even though there's a barley harvest, even though there's plenty that God has blessed his people with, they have no means of providing for themselves. And in this very first verse, in this, very, this introductory part of this chapter, in this scene in the story of Ruth, we begin to see the grace of God. We begin to see in just a, in just a common, ordinary way the very fact that that Ruth can go into the fields and can glean is a part of the grace of God. You see in God's law twice in the book of Leviticus and again in Deuteronomy, God says that the stranger and the widow is to be able to glean in the fields. The, the farmers, the, the landowners in Israel, he said, if you want me to bless you, God said, if you want me to bless you, then here's what I want you to do. As you harvest your fields, you're to leave the corners. You're not to, you're not to uh, harvest those corners. And anything that you drop, you're not to pick up. And you're not to glean. You're to leave the gleanings for the widows and the strangers. Now, Ruth is both of these. Ruth is a stranger. She is a Moabitess, and it's repeated throughout this chapter as it says in verse 2, Ruth the Moabitess. When Boaz comes to his field and he asks the, the harvesters about this lady, they said, oh, that's the Moabitess from Moab. I mean, where else would a Moabitess be from? And they're repeating this and identifying her. She is a stranger, and she is a widow. Both of these things would be things that would cause her to be an outcast in Israel because she is a stranger, she is a foreigner, and she is a foreigner who married a, an Israelite. And so it's a reminder of her strangeness and her alienness. And, and so for her to come to the field, this is the very act of God's grace. 
But then we also see God's grace in a man named Boaz. You see, of all the people she could have gone to their field, this is the one man in, in Bethlehem who understands what it's like to be a foreigner. You see, Boaz's mother was a foreigner. You go back to the book of Joshua and you encounter a lady who helps Israel as they come into the land of Canaan and she lives in Jericho and she's not only a Canaanite but she's a harlot and her name is Rahab. Rahab is Boaz's mother. If there's any person who understands what it's like to be an outcast and to be looked down upon because of your nationality and because of your background, it's Boaz. And this is the man that God has placed there to be a blessing to Ruth and to show his grace to Ruth. And then I love this phrase in verse 3. Her hap was to light on a part of the field. Uh, We would say in our common lingo, it was by a stroke of luck. Her hap hap happened. It it just happened to chance that she did this. It, It was her chance to chance upon this field. But the writer is not given a plug here for fate and for coincidence. He is stating this from from Ruth's perspective, from her perspective. It was just chance, but the writer is just screaming to us, this is the hand of God at work. And so God's hand is at work in the life of Naomi. I want you to see some truths this morning as we look at this story. This chapter is a story of the sufficiency of grace. And in it, we see the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. I want to exalt to you this morning from this passage and this story, I want to exalt to you something that we desperately need to understand in this moment, in this time of need, in this time in which, yes, there's plenty, and we we live in a land of bounty, but there is great need in our lives. There are those who have needs for their physical condition. There are those who are going through family situations and they have great need. There are those who are um, experiencing uh, the virus that we're going through and the pandemic. And there are those who are experiencing the mental stress of being in a quarantine and being separated from family. And there's all this that's going on. We are living in a time of need. And I want to exalt to you this morning the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Sufficiency of God's grace for what we need. The first thing that this passage and this story will point out to us is the expression of Ruth's faith. The expression of Ruth's faith. Now, she's expressed this back in chapter 1 with her words. Do you remember she said, your God will be my God. This was not just her identifying with Naomi. This was her placing herself under the care and the grace and the covenant love of God, the God of Israel. Not just her words, but notice in chapter 2, her witness. As she, as she goes into the field, she goes and she labors in this field that is Boaz's, and she works all through the morning hours, and she labors hard. All she is able to do at this point is just pick up a, a straw here and there, a blade of barley here and there. And it's a challenging, it's a tough work. And you're only getting a little bit. And those harvesters are careful. They're working with Boaz's field, and so they're careful not to drop too much. They want to be careful. And so here's, here's Ruth working hard all through the morning. And finally, Boaz comes to the field. 
and he walks into that field. Now, understand, there's nothing romantic at this point. There's nothing about Boaz. He is a, he is a righteous man. He is a good man. And he looks and he sees this, this new gleaner in his field. And he salutes his workers and he says, the Lord be with you. And they bless him back. It's a wonderful expression of the covenant love and the, co- the understanding of the covenant relationship with God. And they, they bless each other. And he asks, who is this young lady? And they said, oh, that's Ruth, the, the Moabitess. She's the one that came back with Naomi from Moab. And then Boaz begins to just pour out blessings. You see, Boaz will say to Ruth in this moment, he will say, the Lord recompense what you are doing. The Lord bless. But I love what Boaz does. Boaz, by his actions, becomes the embodiment of God's grace. He's saying God recompense, God give you, God bless you. But he's also then putting that into action and he becomes grace in the flesh. Does that sound familiar? That is exactly what John 1 says about Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. He was God manifest in the flesh, but Boaz becomes a type of this redeemer, and we'll see this more through this story of how Boaz becomes the redeemer of Ruth, and he's more for her than she even understands that she needs. She comes looking for bread, but she finds a bridegroom. And she comes looking for a few husks, and God has for her a husband. And she comes looking for food, but God has for her a family. God has for us far more than we even begin to understand. And Boaz says, it is known that you have come to trust under the wings of the God of Israel. You see, it wasn't just her words. It was her testimony. It was the witness of her life that she was trusting in God. But I want to point out to you that her faith is expressed through her work. In chapter 2, in verse 7, she says she came, and they said about Ruth, she has continued even from the morning until now. You see, it's easy for us to focus on all that Boaz is going to do for her, and we'll look at that in just a moment. All the great bounty and blessings that he gives her. But we forget that much of this day was not spent in picking up the handfuls on purpose. And much of this day was not sitting at a meal with Boaz. Much of her day was spent just simply laboring in the field. It's important for us to understand That much of the Christian life is not the high hallelujah moments. And I love those moments. I love when God's blessing in my life is so evident and it's so clear. And I see it and I'm overwhelmed with the sufficiency of his grace. But God's grace is sufficient for those common everyday times when we get up and we go and we pick up a blade here and a blade there. We've already seen in these first verses that God's grace is at work in Ruth's life. Beyond what Boaz is going to do, God's already giving and God's already pouring out his grace on her. And we need to understand, yes, We experience the grace of God in those great moments. But when the blessings aren't so obvious, God's grace, we must be willing to be faithful. That is the expression of our faith on an everyday, every moment basis. 
You see, I love when I open the Word of God and there's some handful on purpose. But you know, there are many days when I pick up the Word of God and I'm going to read it simply because I'm, in the, I'm there gleaning to get what I can from it and it's a blessing to have it in my hands. And there are moments when I'm praying, when I experience the presence of God in a manifest way. But then there are days when I pray and I simply go about my common, ordinary gleaning. There are times when God pours out great blessings, but much of the Christian life is just that common, ordinary task that that Ruth spends this entire morning laboring. Understand that if we want to experience the great blessings of God, we've got to be faithful when the blessings aren't so obvious. I think about the life of Jesus Christ and that for 30 years there is little or nothing miraculous that takes place. How many days during those 30 years did Jesus get up and get his tools and go cut some wood and get splinters in his hands and eat a meal and provide for his family and come to the end of the day? Just ordinary days that were the preparation for the three years of life and ministry that he would experience and when he would accomplish our salvation. Ruth's work is evidence of it's an expression of her faith. But I also want you to see in this chapter quickly the experience of Boaz's favor. The experience of his favor. Look at all the ways. If we walk through this chapter in this story, we see so many things that he does for her. Boaz pours out grace on her. Not only the work that God is doing, but in in chapter 2, look in verse 8. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go into the vessels, and drink of that which the young men have drawn. He is not treating her as an employee. He is treating her as a member of the family. That's the beauty of God's grace. Do you remember when the prodigal son came home and he said, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Let me be a servant. And what does the father do? Put him on the payroll? No. He says, my son has come home. This is exactly how Boaz in his grace, as the embodiment of God's grace, is welcoming in one who was a foreigner, one who was excluded from the house of God. And Boaz is saying, I'm treating you like one of the family. I'm treating you like the, the part of the family that you are. And he provides for her. He gives her permission to stay in his field. He not only gives her permission to stay, he tells her not to go anywhere else. And we find out later that he says, stay until the harvest is completed. Not just the barley harvest, but the wheat harvest as well. He gives her protection. He tells the young men, don't harass her. Don't touch her. Leave her alone. He gives her water to drink. He says, you don't have to get your own water like the rest of the crowd. When these, when these workers and these harvesters, when they get their water, you drink from what they drink from. He blesses her in chapter and verse 12. He says, the Lord recompense your work. He pronounces a blessing on her. He gives her courtesy as he, she dines with him. It is significant that he brings her to his table 
And not only that he welcomes her to dine with him, but he reaches out to her and he gives her food and he gives her all that she needs. He encourages her to share the food that has been prepared for him and for the workers. He welcomes her to dip into the sauce with him, serves her grain himself, the roasted grain, and then he gives her enough to satisfy and have left over. He then tells the harvesters as they go out for the afternoon, he says, let her glean among the sheaves. Don't make her follow along behind. Don't make her just pick up the little pieces. Let her get in among the sheaves and let her glean from that. Make sure she gets plenty. And then he says, as you're harvesting, now I've told you to be careful and I've, you've worked for me for years and I don't want you to, I've told you not to drop any. I've told you to be careful and be, be careful with my harvest, but I want you to just drop some handfuls on purpose. This is no accident. I want you to know that the grace of God and the sufficiency of God's grace in our life is no accident. It is the purpose of God to provide for us not only what we need, but more than enough. Oh, the evidence of his favor. Aren't you glad for the evidences of God's favor in our life? If we just look around us, not just in the common ordinary things that we see that God has provided for us, But if we look every day, we will see the blessings of God. We will see the things that God does for us. We will see the sufficiency of his grace. Remember that the sufficiency of God and the sufficiency of Christ is not, oh, it's sufficient, it's just enough. It goes beyond. And in that we see that we are to enjoy the fullness. This is unmerited grace that she is experiencing There is no way that she possibly could have earned what Boaz did for her and gave to her. This is is an expression of the unmerited favor of God. I am overwhelmed at the grace of God in my life. The grace of God that has redeemed me the grace of God that has justified me, the grace of God that has adopted me into his family, and the grace of God that has extended to me all the riches of Jesus Christ over and beyond. That's the fullness of what you and I have. I want you to look at verse 17. She gleaned in the field until even and beat out what she had gleaned And it was about an ephah of barley. Some estimate this was somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds of barley. And this was after she's threshed it out. There is no possible... I want to tell you something. Those were some obedient servants. When Boaz says, drop her some on purpose, I just sort of imagine... I just sort of imagine every one of those guys thinking, well, hey, I want to keep the boss happy. And so the first one, man, he drops some. And then the second one drops some. And the third one drops some. I'm reminded of a a time when I worked at a place and there were some plants, some live plants in the foyer of the entranceway. And one of my bosses came along and he says, Cameron, you, you need to make sure and water those plants. And so I watered the plants and swept up the few dead leaves that were there. And then one of my other bosses, I had a 
too many bosses at this particular job. And one of my other bosses came along and he said, uh, Cameron, you need to water those plants. And I said, well, I just, he said, don't talk back to me. You just do what you're told. You water the plants. And so I watered the plants. By the time the fifth boss had come along, there was water running out on the floor that I was having to mop up. And the leaves were, they were, those plants were overwatered because every one of them said, and I can just imagine Boaz tells this whole team of harvesters, look, drop her a little bit extra on purpose. And so every single one of them, man, every chance they get, they're dropping, and she's there working, and she walks away with nearly 50 pounds of barley. That's the bounty, that's the, the blessedness, that's the excess. Boaz took an an ordinary occasion and transformed it into a glorious demonstration of compassion and generosity and acceptance. That is what God does for us. His sufficient grace, the sufficiency of Christ. There's a great story about Alexander the Great that one day a beggar was sitting by the roadside and he was asking for alms. And Alexander the Great reached into a purse and he extended, he, he gave him a number of gold coins. And one of his courtiers was standing nearby and he said, Your Majesty, just, just a few, why did you give that man copper coins? I mean, gold coins, a few copper coins would have been enough. And Alexander the Great said, Copper coins may have been sufficient for that beggar, but gold coins are worthy of a king. I want you to know that we have a king and we have a Boaz and we have a God who doesn't just give us just what is needed. He gives us above and beyond what we need. And she walks away. I can almost just imagine her as she carries this 50 pounds of barley over her shoulder, tugging and carrying that heavy load. And she comes through the door and perhaps Naomi expected her to come back with just a a couple of handfuls, just enough to get them through the day. And she hears about all that Boaz has done. I want you to know and I want you to understand the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and all that we have in him. It is far beyond what we need. Ruth had all she needed and more. And Jesus Christ is all we need and more. Someone has written this poem, Christ for sickness, Christ for health, Christ for poverty, Christ for wealth. Christ for joy, Christ for sorrow, Christ today and Christ tomorrow. Christ, my life, and Christ, my light. Christ for morning, noon, and night. Christ, when all around gives way. Christ, my everlasting stay. Christ, my rest, and Christ, my food. Christ above, my highest good. Christ, my well-beloved friend. Christ, my pleasure without end. Christ, my Savior. Christ, my Lord. Christ, my portion. Christ, my God. Christ, my shepherd. I, his sheep. Christ himself, my soul to keep. Christ, my leader. Christ, my peace. Christ hath wrought my soul's release. Christ, my righteousness divine. Christ for me, for he is mine. Christ, my wisdom. Christ, my meat. Christ restores my wandering feet. Christ, my advocate and priest. Christ, who ne'er forgets the least. Christ, my teacher. And Christ, my guide. Christ, my rock. In Christ, I hide. Christ, the ever-living bread. Christ, his precious blood hath shed. 
Christ hath brought me nigh to God, Christ the everlasting word. Christ my master, Christ my head, Christ who for my sins hath bled. Christ my glory, Christ my crown, Christ the plant of great renown. Christ my comforter on high, Christ my hope draws ever nigh. I want you to know that on my lowest day, on my weakest day, on my poorest day, I never have less than Jesus Christ. Someone has said that the person who has Christ and many other things has no more than the person who has Christ alone. Are we resting, are you resting in his sufficiency? Resting in his sufficiency doesn't mean that we won't need things. Ruth still needed bread. She still needed barley. Resting in the sufficiency of Christ doesn't mean that we won't need people. She still needed a Boaz in her life to bestow this on her. But it meant that all that she needed she found in the one under whose wings she came to rest. Thy God shall be my God. And she rested underneath his wings and underneath his care. Are we an instrument of his sufficiency? You see, the sufficiency that we receive is for us then to extend that same grace. By faith, we are the recipients of God's covenant graciousness so that we may then become the instruments of that same generosity to others. Are you rejoicing in his sufficiency? There are many things in this life that people look to in their time of need. What are you looking to? Are you looking to man's philosophy? Are you looking to man's wisdom? Are you looking to human support and human strength? Or are you looking to Christ's sufficiency? And in that sufficiency, as he works through his faithful through his faithful people, through his faithful means, Christ becomes sufficient. He's all I need. Jesus is all I need, and he's all that you need this morning. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to encourage you to do that this morning. Just right where you are, maybe you're, if you're driving or you're in your car, maybe you can pull over to the side, or you can kneel right beside your couch, or right wherever you are. You can just make that place an altar and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Let him become all that you need. Christians, are you resting? Are you rejoicing in that sufficiency? As we go through this day, may God grant us the ability, the eyes of faith, to see the goodness, the graciousness, and the sufficiency of of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for being all that we need. Lord, in our worst days, in our poorest, weakest, lowest days, we still have Jesus. And we're grateful that he is all that we need. Father, I pray for those who are in a time of need right now. Many that are watching this service are experiencing a range of needs. May in their need, as they are in the field faithfully serving and faithfully working, 
May they experience the sufficiency of your grace. May they experience the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we have all that we have and Jesus too. We pray and ask these things in his name and for his glory.